Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined by Special K, Mike Kelleher, and Mike the Movie Maker Messier. It's Mike and Mikey. By the way, my uh, my shout out to my boys over here from uh, Mrs. Bruiser Brody. Barbara Goodish uh, sends uh, her regards. Uh, she had a great time with us. And we have a, a, an equally interesting guest tonight, a very special guy, incredibly talented beyond his, his realm and beyond his years. He's just a kid in my eyes. I can't tell him that, though. So uh, it's our little secret, JJ, right? That's right, Angelo. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Well, we have a, a gentleman tonight. You may not know his name, and many of you do, but if you don't know his name, you certainly know Sexy Boy, Do the Bird, Demolition, High Energy, Nasty Size, All American Boys. You know all of his music. Why? Because you've heard it throughout the 80s and 90s to 2000s in WWE. His name is J.J. McGuire. John McGuire, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks a lot, Angelo. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank everybody that listened to all the great music put together and fans through the whole show uh i didn't do it for my ego i did it for the world's ego and angelo jj it, um, it brings up a question right off the off the top of the show here you know you're a singer songwriter musician you performed uh as an individual act you've been a part of a group we'll talk about that in a little bit um you've you've done work in hollywood you've done work for corporations the private sector You've been around the block, it's fair to say, a couple of times. What goes into writing, especially, you know, let's, let's talk, let's bring Greg's question into two parts. What goes into writing a song initially? Then how do you write a song for a character largely who you really don't know? So take that and let's bust that question up a little. No problemio. Uh, basically what I did, Jimmy Hart and I were together in a group called, a hit group called the Gentries. And we had hit records in the seventies. Uh, of course, the Gentries had a multi-million seller in 66 with keep on dancing, but I was just a mere, uh, 12 years old or something then. And in 1970, I played with a top Kentucky group called Gary and Sherry Edwards and the Embers. And we had a regional 45 out that was real popular, you know, in our state, in the region. And we were on the bill, and the Gentries happened to be playing. Also uh, was uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Andy Kim, and all the big uh, hitters, you know, from that uh, period in that era. Oh, sure. And uh, so I was standing there, and the next group, ladies and gentlemen, is the Gentries. Everybody cheered, and uh, about uh, 15,000 people in the Coliseum in Louisville. And, and so I, I thought, hmm, I'll, I'll listen to this real close. And I loved what I heard, and I said to myself, one day, I want to play with a group like this. And believe it or not, a year and one half later, I was in the Gentries. Wow. Now, who invited you into the band? Did you audition or did Jimmy yes. invite you? Yes, sir. Uh, I didn't know Jimmy Hart from Jimmy Smart. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and Jimmy is really smart. Let me let you know that. But uh, basically, 
uh, our agent, I had an agent that booked our group. Uh, I was in a different group from Lexington, Kentucky, which a couple of the guys that were in our group at that time now, they play in the group Exile uh, that had the hit, you know, with Kiss You All Over. My oh, friend sure. Marlon Hargis and Sonny yeah. LaMare and all the guys, I know them real well. And they actually called me. I had just joined the Gentries, and I got a call from their business manager saying, would you like to audition? And one of our keyboard players has left, but I've already joined the Gentries. And so I missed that one. But at any rate, uh, so uh, this agent that was booking the group I was with in Lexington called Powder Keg, um, he said, uh, I'm also booking a group called the Gentries. I said, oh, yeah, the Gentries hit group, fabulous. And I saw them in Louisville, Kentucky uh, just about uh, nine months ago. Uh, and Boy, I sure would love to play with that group, but that's a dream, I'm sure. Oh, no, it isn't a dream, JJ. They're looking for a drummer. And I told them about you. And uh, I want you to call this guy named Jimmy Hart. I didn't know Jimmy Hart from anybody. And so I called this guy named Jimmy Hart, and he says, McGuire, thank you for calling. Joe Powers, uh, our agent, and who's booked you all some, too, told me how good of a player you are and whatever, and uh, appreciate it. But here's what we got. We got auditions next week. We've got uh, one of Ray, we got Ray Charles's drummer auditioning, and we have <laughs> one of Jerry Lee Lewis's drummer uh, auditioning. So oh, JJ, kind of, there's nothing nothing you, like a little pressure, right, bro? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he was trying to tell me, say, this is what you would be up against. So if you think you're uh -huh. in that caliber, feel free. I said, look, I promise you this. Let me come down and audition at my expense to Memphis. And, and the audition was at American Studios where Elvis cut a lot of his hits, if you remember. Oh, gosh. Sure. And so I was impressed with that, of course. And so I said, I'll come at my own expense. And if you take me, then you just owe me half of my expense of coming down, and we'll go from there. And he said, okay, well, I'm just telling you who you're up against. So I said, okay. So I packed my drums in my vehicle, and I drove to Memphis, and I sat out in the hall with those other two guys, and they went in first because they were the big hitters. you know. And so I was the last person, the third guy, and I went in, and I played. We did a demo song called Going Down by Don Nix, who was – from Memphis originally, going down, 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 down. Uh, Jeff Beck oh, covered sure. it. Uh, you know, it's a big song. Yeah. And so I had a double bass drum set. Okay, at that time, there's only about three drummers in the whole world that, had, that used double bass drums. One was John Bonham. I guess one was me and a guy named Tommy. I can't remember his last name. He played with Black Oak, Arkansas. And I, I don't know anybody else who really did it. And uh, if they did, they weren't known. And so I played going down and did the double bass drum part on it. They stopped right in the middle of the song and looked at me. I thought, oh, I scared them. You know, this double bass thing, they don't understand this. And so they kind of chatted. Uh, Jimmy did with his guitar player, Wes Stafford, who's since passed away. Uh, he was his musical director at that time. And so they, I figured I've scared them. I've done too much. So they stopped. They said, let's take a little break. And so I started taking my cymbals off cymbal stand. I figured, well, I, I missed it. Okay. <laughs> So then the, uh, they walk out in the hall. Jimmy goes out in the hall and comes back in, and they look at me, and I'm removing my symbols. And I said, well, I really appreciate the audition, guys. Thank you. They said they reached their hands out and said, welcome to the Gentries, McGuire. <laughs> wow. And that's where it began. Half a song. Now, Mike Messier, you got a question for J.J.? So JJ, were you where were you uh, raised? Where were you born in the country? Yes, sir. Uh, glad to answer that. That's in my book, by the way, on Amazon called My Life in Heaven Town. Uh, I was born uh, here in Somerset, Kentucky. It's about 80 miles south of Lexington. 
and uh, I was raised here, went to school here. And in the latter 70s, I decided that I wanted to move to Hollywood to see really what, how good am I? I figure I go there. If I've really got something, somebody will know. If not, then I can always go home. Well, I, I lived out there for almost 10 years and did very well. I got a job immediately uh, as a phone butler. <laughs> You're going to love this one. It's in the book, too. Uh, I was phone yeah. butler for... Um, uh, Neil Simon, uh, also for uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, uh, all the big super duper icons. Uh, uh, the swimmer, see what was her name? You know that did all the high diving and all the forty oh, pictures. Esther uh, Williams. Esther Williams. Yeah. And they all wanted to talk to me. There was four of us that worked the service. We received the mail for them and also answered all their calls. Yeah. So they always wanted to talk to me because I had the Southern accent. They loved that Southern accent. <laughs> so uh, that was my day job. And then, of course, I did studio work at night and whatever uh, uh, when I moved to Hollywood. And uh, I did demos and so forth. And unfortunately, um, one, of, one of the greatest American producers to ever live uh, died just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he produced... Uh, uh, Keith Olson is his name, and he produced uh, all the great, uh, you know, California hit artists uh, like uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Tom Petty, and on and on. He, he's kind of the yeah. George Martin of America, in my opinion. So I yeah, took a demo absolutely. over to him and played it for him, and he uh, he loved what I had. He made a few minor suggestions, said, I want you to come back in three weeks, and let's see if we can't put a deal together. Well, I was just ecstatic because this guy was the biggest American, one of the biggest American producers ever and so i was really thrilled but i got a call later that week from my brother that my father up here in kentucky had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer so mm -hmm. I, I had to pack up and came back to kentucky to actually take care of my father because my uh, brothers lived in different places and they had big families and i was a single guy you know so right. i forfeited by uh uh, a career at Glen Glen Sound, which was the number one sound company. It and Todd A.O. were the biggest in the world. Actually, yeah. Glen Glen was b bigger than Todd A.O., uh, you know, in those years. And um, I met so many celebrities and worked directly with them there. Uh, Bob Hope. Yeah. For instance, uh, when Bob came in to do his work on the uh, military shows and whatever, the Christmas shows, he came in. They, they always put me with the A-listers because... I was easygoing, had Southern accent, and they all liked me, luckily. Yeah. And you know, JJ, um, yeah. let me stop you there for a second because you, mm -hmm. you're mentioning uh, a Glen Glen Sound Company, which, of course, uh, uh, for people who don't know, was uh, the, the creme de la creme in sound mixing and recording in That's Los correct. Angeles. But I found out something very interesting that you may not even know, JJ. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you were employed by Glenn Glenn Sound, there was another famous luminary that worked with you who became uh, quite well-known, especially in the Elvis Presley circle. Yeah. Would you like to know who that person was? Yes. His name was Jerry Schilling. And oh, yeah. Yeah, Jerry, yeah, Jerry sure. Was, yeah. For those of you who, who know the name Jerry Schilling, you know... That uh, Jerry was uh, uh, Elvis Presley's uh, best friend, his right-hand man, and uh, not only worked at Glen Glen Sound, but was also a film editor 
at Paramount Pictures. That's right. I'd forgotten that he was at Paramount also. Thank you for reminding me of that. You're quite welcome. And also, you mentioned your book. And the book is called Hollywood, My Life in Heaven Town. It has a rather interesting cover. Uh, the top, at the top half of the book cover is, of course, the Hollywood Hills with the lights. And the bottom half is interesting. It's a wrestling show. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a company that I actually owned part of for a while, Kentucky Zone Wrestling. Uh, that, was an out, that was a fair date that we had. And uh, so I thought that uh, I'd put that on there and uh, give a little salute to independent wrestling because, you know, I made my career mainly with the biggest show on earth with Vince and everybody in WCW also and whatever. But right. uh, it's an interesting wrestling. cover. And in, in the interest of full disclosure, you and I privately have mm -hmm. talked about that cover. Would JJ, could you, would you care to share that story of uh, of how those two pictures came to, to make the cover because uh, as you explained it to me, um, the publisher wanted to go with a different cover. That's right. Uh, basically, they wanted to use the typical Hollywood sign, you know, the white sign uh, and, and the whole thing. And, of course, uh, I said, well, everybody uses that on every book and everything you see. But it's always right. a picture, a licensed picture of the Hollywood sign. So let's just con construct something of our own and do it that way because really my book isn't just about wrestling. It isn't just about Hollywood. It's about my experiences really across the boards of both. So the book would be interesting to a person who cares nothing about wrestling. The book is still interesting, I think, and entertaining because there's all these other facts about the A-listers and celebrities that I work with and experiences that would appeal to people perhaps that don't care about wrestling. So there's something in the book for the wrestling lover and also the Hollywood and film and sound lover, too. Absolutely. Go ahead, Mike Messier. Uh, when you were a kid, uh, J.J., was going to the uh, pro wrestling matches a part of your childhood, or did that kind of become a part of your life through Jimmy Hart later on? No, uh, my father used to take me over here to the uh, local armory, which was where Randy Savage and all those guys started. They came, this was on uh, Angelo Papo's route. You know, he had he, his territory. It was like IWC and, or something, IWA or IWC, something yeah, like that. IWC, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, Dad used to take me. I didn't care much about it. I was too little. I was only probably six or seven, and... I was more concerned with playing with my little toy that I brought with me in my hand or whatever. But now here's yeah. something I'm going to tell you that is really, Angelo will for sure appreciate this. My, before I was born, my parents went to, they were members of the Somerset Country Club where I grew up. And that's where I learned how to entertain people. I played piano for people and entertained, did magic tricks and card tricks. And, and I had an audience since childhood right out there the golf course and the swimming pool and the tennis courts and so one night before i was born way before my mother uh, was pregnant with me they had a a fair night and one of the one of the gimmicks there which is not a gimmick but was a uh a a, a person who read the future whether you can call them a psychic uh you can call them a seer or you call them what you will but this woman told my mother that you are going to have a son that will do something 
and fire a shot that will be heard around the world. And my mother said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I've got two sons, and we're not really planning to have any more children, I don't believe, but thank you anyway. And that came completely true. And then later on, uh, I was doing a session for the group Exile. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Their engineer was sick and couldn't make the session, so uh, they called me to engineer the session in Lexington, Kentucky. They were fixing to go to Florida to uh, perform and and see what they could get going down there. But uh, a fellow that was usually did the engineering, he was a psychic also. And uh, he told me, he said, JJ, he was a palm reader. And he told me, he said, JJ, I see that you're going to be something, doing something in the future that's worldwide with men that have no shirts on. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what is that going to be? So there's two examples of of uh, true psychic ability that in my lifetime that came completely true. These people weren't really predicting the future. They were just giving an, an idea of what may be around the bend. But everything they said, those two things I told you are absolute truth. And absolutely true. Yep. And my, my whole life has just been my life in heaven town. It's just one event after another of unbelievable crossings with fantastically talented people and uh from psychics Absolutely. to wrestlers to actors to you name it and i'm just so thankful that god gave me talent and i was able to take it to where it needed to be brother i'll tell you what you you got talent in spades special k mike kelleher you got your live with jj mcguire go ahead ben uh jj um you know i uh I've grown up playing music my whole life, pretty much. Um, so it's really cool to hear some of your stories, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more. Um, Thank you. I want to know, what was the first instrument you learned to play? I was classically trained. Uh, I started, uh, I actually could play when I was about three years old. I could get on the piano and play a little Christmas song and things of that nature. And so they, they realized that I had some sort of extra talent, so they put me in lessons immediately when I was five years old. And I studied classical music for uh, quite a few years up till I was about in the eighth grade. And then I joined a pop band, and we were playing all around the state and everything, and with a top prom band uh, during the mid to uh, latter 60s. Oh, that's and awesome. uh, that's kind of how, how it all uh, became. But I was, by being classically trained, it gave me the ability to learn how to play multiple instruments and play them pretty well, you know, because I had proper training. Absolutely. What is your favorite instrument to play? Well, I love them. I'm a percussionist primarily, I guess. Uh, keyboard, drums, uh, then I play bass and guitar. You know, all the wrestling themes that you've heard, the majority of them, I played every instrument on it. And I actually came up with the music, and Jimmy wrote lyrics. And Jimmy would come to me and say, well, we've got to do a song for a guy named the Million Dollar Man. What do you got, McGuire? What do you got? And I'd have my little rig set up in the back of the Coliseum and whatever. And I'd go, well, let me plunk around here a minute. And then Jimmy would go, hey, that sounds pretty good right there. That little part played started was good. Okay. And then so we just kind of collaborated in that way, even though Jimmy doesn't play any instruments or whatever. But he's got a he's got a million dollar golden ear. He can hear what sounds right and so forth so that, that that's kind of how we did it but we of course saved a lot of money by me being able to play all the instruments 
and uh, we did it all ourselves, and uh, that's kind of how it was. But uh, that Million Dollar Man thing, people ask, what was the hardest thing to come up with? Well, really, we wrote most of them very quickly, and, uh, you know, we had to work quick. So uh, we had a little trouble trying to come up. What what would fit this? What would fit Ted DiBiase, you think? And, you know, I'd watch the matches. I'd see what their gimmick was. I'd see what their outfits were. I'd look at their yeah. attitude. And I told Jimmy, uh, I, you know, I kept coming up with a few different riffs and whatever didn't seem right. And I, I agreed. I said, no, nah, I don't know. I said, and then we said, let's take a break. And I said, you know, Jimmy, uh, our royalty check was late this month uh, from the, our Performing Rights Society. I guess I better check into it. But I said, you know how people are. It's always all about the money. Bingo. Jimmy says, bingo. I went, huh? He said, That's exactly. It's all about, it's the, all money. about the money. It's all about the money. Exactly and then I went, right. Then I put my hands down on the keyboard and went, dun, 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 and the rest is history. JJ, have you ever been utterly and completely stumped about where to even begin with a character? That, that Million Dollar Man thing was the closest thing to that, but everything else just fell in place real quick, and then we'd have Vince come down to the room in the Coliseum in the back and you know, I had my keyboard set up, and I had a uh, sampler, and I had a, a, a tape machine, and then we would we would sing or play over the tracks that I already recorded to give more of a fuller sound or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, Vince would, you know, Vince liked everything we came up with. He never turned anything down. Nothing. I've been fortunate to know a lot of musicians, you know, having worked in the music industry for a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated particularly with songwriters, especially singer-songwriters. Um, yes. You hear a, a guy, for I'll give you a perfect example, JJ, Mac mm -hmm. Davis. You know, now people of, of our generation, we know who Mac Davis is. Yes, sir. <laughs> a classic singer-songwriter. Great. I you know, and from your part of the country, by the way. And, yes. um, and a guy like that, can take his song that he's written and interpret it one way. Have you ever heard someone interpret your music in a way that was displeasing to you? Well, uh, there's some guy that had covered a bunch of our entrance things, but he was a guitar player. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. And he had he had done a version of Sexy Boy, and it's more like a tribute to you know our music. And it was really good and whatever, but I don't know. Uh, he couldn't really release that nationally or anything because uh, WWE actually, you know, uh, had the licensing rights to all that and so forth. But he did a real good job, and I, I was really impressed with what he did and, and appreciative that somebody would take the time to do that. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, you know, as I've I've asked that question previously to other singer songwriters, and I've Here's gotten. Uh, you know, every kind of answer under the sun from, you know, very, um, very humbling, uh, very pleasing to, you know, there was a piece of shit. Um, I'd like to sue the bastard, you know, to everything under the sun. Um, so, and I'm, because I'm curious about you because you're a really laid back kind of guy. You take everything in stride. So I don't, you know, I can't imagine there's not much that you don't like. But That's musically, true. what is it that you that really like sways you away musically from from saying, you know, I, I can't keep my mouth shut on this particular thing? 
Well, that's a tough question. Uh, I always really loved ZZ Top. Of course, I always loved the Beatles. Who doesn't? Uh, uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, you know, all the heavy hitters uh, are big influence on on me and what I try to instill elements of those elements uh, into our wrestling music. But our wrestling music was really, they were characters. It's more like cartoon characters, uh, you know, and we had to come up with everything, every style of music from the rumba to country to pop to jazz almost to you name it. I mean, you can listen to all the, the different themes. I mean, I've just got a small placard here of, I did over 114 themes for WWFE and WCW, but yeah, uh, you get you read off a few. But I did American Made for Hulk at WCW and played everything. Oh, sure. uh, Sean Michael, Sexy Boy, uh, Bret Hart's Road Destruction, Ted DiBiase, Honky Tonk Man, Demolition, Repo Man. That's me going Repo, Repo, Repo Man. <laughs> playing every oh, you're actually on that. I, I you know what, That's JJ, me, I had no man. idea that was you. Yeah, Repo, Repo, Repo Man. But I sampled it and dropped it an octave on my. And I believe I was the first guy to ever do that drop sample voice. Next thing I know, every rap artist in the world is doing it. But I believe <laughs> I'm the first guy that ever did it. Um, and then uh, uh, also, uh, well, I did the Repo Man theme in my parents' house, and my mother said, turn that noise down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this Superfly, Superfly's theme was the first WWF theme that I did. Uh, uh, you know, it's me going super, super, super fly also. And wow. uh, Ro Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, Rockers, Mountie, Dusty Rhodes, uh, he's just a common man. Uh, the cowbell. Struck. Yeah. Oh, yep. God, sure. Uh, JJ, how long struck. does it take you to crank out a song? Not very long. Once I once I get on, once I'm on the right groove, it's pretty quick. Maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Maybe some of the uh, Are you boys kidding me? No, you Sexy can... Boy's written, written in five minutes. You wrote Sexy Boy in five minutes. Maybe less. Yeah. And, and And that is, we should tell people that that is singularly the most played entrance yeah. theme in all of wrestling. That's correct. And that's, that's a right, fact. Angela. That's a fact. Yes, sir. We should also tell people that JJ was an integral part of Hulk Hogan's Thunder in Paradise. Tell everybody about your involvement in Thunder in Paradise. Sure, be glad to. Uh, well, uh, Hulk was in between right then. He had uh, had a falling out with WWE over some business uh, things. Some, uh, I believe uh, it was the he was owed quite a bit more money on his merchandise, but they were kind of slow on sending checks out on the merchandise and kind of made the boys wait a while or whatever, from what I understand. And so he he uh, got together with Burke Bonin and Schwartz, who produced the uh, you know Baywatch TV show, and they had this idea for a show called Thunder in Paradise. Actually, Hulk came up with the, the title of that, but they came up more with the construction of what you saw and so forth. And uh, so I got a call one day. Jimmy called me, Jimmy Hart, and says, McGuire, uh, uh, Hulk's on a, got a new show called Fair Paradise. They're fixing to shoot, and they need a, a, a end theme for the show. They've got something for the opening that they let those guys that have been doing some music for Baywatch, you know, do it. But uh, they want a different theme for the end theme. They'd really like to have a different theme for the opener, but they've already spent $380,000 on shooting the footage and everything to fit what those guys wrote. And uh, so I said, yeah, sounds good. So I packed up my portable studio stuff and actually threw it all in the back of my 
Corvette. It actually fit in there, my multi-track recorder and mics and front seat fills and floorboards and headed down there to Florida. And uh, we set up the stuff and I had a reggae. I came up with the reggae lift that you heard. When the sun goes down in paradise, we hired an actual Jamaican guy to sing it. But I'm playing all the instruments and wrote the music. Jimmy wrote all the lyrics. And uh, so I went down and we demoed the song for Burt Bonin and Schwartz. They leapt up and they, I thought well, they were going to marry us. They were hugging and kissing on us and <laughs> carrying on. And, and they said, fire that reggae band that we've had out there on the beach. Fire those guys right this minute. And they sent the PA out there and told those guys to go home. They were true Jamaicans, but they had trouble communicating because they couldn't speak fluent English. So one of the, on the pilot show, you saw Chris Lemon playing a little keyboard with a reggae band on the beach, you know. But yeah. when but when we came in and I brought the theme, that was the end of those guys. Goodbye. So and then uh, Greg Bowden looks at me and says, uh, "McGuire, it's just fat. We look, this is more than what we needed, and we want you guys to come up with montage music too, because our LA guys have about run down on everything. They they've done so much Baywatch work that everything's starting to sound similar. So we'd like for you and Jimmy to come up with uh, our montage segment music and stuff too." And I said, well, sure, whatever. It sounds great. Thank you. And I was packing my stuff up, and then Bonin come, Greg Bonin comes up to me and says, uh, McGuire, excuse me, uh, how long are you down here? I went, well, I brought about four pairs of underwear and socks. I just came down, you know, to play the theme and figure if if y'all liked it, which you said you do, uh, that that's it. Oh, no, you better go to Target right now and buy <laughs> plenty of underwear and socks because you're a character on the show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I said. You play yeah, they, they made him an actual character. That's what I was getting at, JJ. Yeah, they made yeah. him an actual character on the show. You Special the band leader on the show for JJ. They actually let me create my own character. I picked my own wardrobe. Uh, I was allowed to have all kinds of latitude. You know, I wasn't a principal character, but uh, you know, I, they still gave me the latitude to pick my own. Uh, 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 hair that I wanted, I actually wore a little extra hair gimmick, kind of looked like a beetle haircut or whatever, a uh, hair appliance on top of my hair. I mean, I have pretty good hair, but they wanted that kind of bangish look, you know, uh, uh, yeah. that John Denver look, you know, from Gilgan's Island sort of thing, I guess. Why? And, You've got uh, a great head of hair, brother. Uh, well, I appreciate that, but uh, that's just the way, you know, I hadn't ruled, uh, my hair was cut super short, almost one step from a bird at that time, so uh, so they gave they gave me the hair appliance to wear on the thing, a little uh, industry secret there, but um, they let me choose all my own clothes and everything. If you watch the show, boy, Jimmy and I were really uh, flashy, you know, we really dressed up. Yeah. Good. Mike Kelleher, Special K. All right. JJ. Um you know, I, I was thinking about the variety, and you kind of just hit on this a little bit. I was thinking about the variety of music that you had to be able to be proficient in. And I was thinking about it, and there was only one other artist that I could come up with that I thought, these these guys, they have to be um, like able to play anything. And that was Weird Al Yankovic's band. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, and when you think about wrestling and how crazy it is, it kind of Weird Al would probably do really well in uh, in the wrestling world. Uh, you but, know what, you know, Mike, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I was going to actually ask JJ, and I'm going, I'm going to ask you now, JJ. Sure. Has have you ever been compared 
to a Weird Al or a, a novelty songwriter? No, never have. I never tried to write a novelty song. Those songs that we did for the wrestling are serious songs that, well, you know, fit a character. But no, I've never been compared to a novelty writer, though what I have done and we did is specialty music. But let me remind everybody that the Beatles were considered specialty music when they got with George Martin. He, you know, he was in charge of specialty music, BBC production. So really the Beatles were specialty music. Well, true enough. Yeah, we can't argue with that point. Mike Messier, go ahead. I was going to ask you, going back to the um, American-made song, Hulk Hogan's WCW song, uh, J.J., uh, a friend of mine back in the day was convinced that that was Paul Stanley of Kiss singing American-made. <laughs> Who sang that, that wow, song? <laughs> was that you singing that song, J.J.? <laughs> Well, I, I sure do appreciate that. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, Kiss was a little bit after my uh, era or whatever, uh, but uh, I did work with Gene Simmons at Glen Glen when he did Runaway, the movie. And wow. what a beautiful person he is and a genius and a nice guy. But, no, I appreciate that comparison. Uh, uh, you know, I like some of uh, Kiss's work and everything, uh, but I just wasn't really a huge uh, Kiss follower. I was more into the hard rock and... Uh, you know, Jeff Beck and more kind of progressive stuff and so on. But no one so can that, argue with the fact that, that Kiss is the greatest spectacle rock band that's ever been. Is that your voice on the song, J.J., on, on American Made, the Hulk Hogan WCW song? Is that you singing? Uh, no, sir. That that voice is a, a guy named Todd Plant that we hired from down in Florida. Uh, Todd, uh, Todd is singing that. He's a really excellent singer. and. Um, uh, I'm doing the majority of all the, I'm doing all the drum tracks and bass and guitar and keyboard and whatever. But a lot of that Eddie Van Halen-ish type uh, lead guitar stuff was uh, Todd uh, said that he would only sing the theme if he could bring his buddy guitar player in. But to be honest with you, I always thought that was too much. Uh, I wasn't there for the final mix. I was ill and couldn't get down there. And I wasn't happy with all that extra lead work that was all over it. But of course, that's just my opinion, but uh, I would have not had it all that uh, over it. But uh, that was my only complaint on that theme. But obviously, the public liked how it was, and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what I think on it overall. Yeah. It matters what the public thinks. As, as a follow-up, J.J., we know you did so many great songs for the what's sometimes called the golden years of WWF, kind of the yeah. mid-'80s to the early-'90s. In addition to the Hulk Hogan WCW theme, did you do more songs for WCW? Uh, I'm thinking yeah. of like the, the the Harlem Heat song, and, and there were so many great songs of the kind of 96, 97 WCW. What were some of the songs you were involved in with that group? Self High Five. Uh, DDP. Yes, DDP. And then uh, I get confused. There's so much, and so many people jumped leagues and whatever. I have to pull out a master list to remember a lot of this. But did Sonny Ono's theme? Uh, oh, did sure. uh, did the Zodiac theme? Did Disco Fever? Disco Fever? Did that one for Disco? Uh, you know, uh, Glenn, right on without looking, oh, I you wrote remember. you wrote Disco yeah. Fever, Disco That's Inferno. Correct. Really, for yeah. Glenn Gilberti, the Disco Inferno. That's correct. 
Can I tell and you that's something? Ju- that's Jimmy and me going disco fever. Wow. Now I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to show what kind of geek I really am. Okay. Okay. I love that fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's okay. I'm glad that you do, and, and do. we we wrote it for me. people to 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 like uh, everything that we wrote. Like I said, we didn't write it for what we wanted. We made uh, hard work at writing what fit the character. It wasn't about us. It was about it. them. I thought it was a great song, JJ. You know, I no, want to ask you. I, you're quite welcome. I want to ask you though about some of the more obscure songs. Of course, we all know. You know. Uh, Common Man, we all know Sexy Boy, mm-hmm. Superfly, of course, we know What a Rush. But there are mm-hmm. some obscure songs that a lot of people may have forgotten about, like uh, I'm, I'm the Mountie. For, I'm uh, the Mountie, yes, sir. For Jacques Rougeau. That's correct. How does a song like I'm the Mountie come about? Where, where do you birth a song like well, that? Well, don't, don't forget American Boys either. Oh we yeah, like American Boys. We don't like our rock and roll. All we listen to is Barry Manilow, the Rougeau Brothers, <laughs> the Rougeau Brothers. That's right, Jack and Ramon. Yep. Yeah, you know it's it, it's one of the songs here. Um, you know the Common Man Boogie that you did, did for uh, Dusty, of course. Right. And it's interesting because for Big Boss Man, you wrote a song called Hard Times. Yes, and I'm correct. curious because Dusty at the time, and you know this, was famous for his now classic promo, the Hard Times promo. That's right. And so how did Hard Times end up being, you know, uh, uh, not associated with Dusty in, in we did that, that, in we that did context? after Dusty. That came along, Ray Trailer. uh, it was after Dusty's thing. We'd already done Common Man first. Oh, I got you, JJ. Okay. And, and then, uh, and by the way, the person, uh, Jimmy Jameson, who sang with Survivor, is singing, uh, if you ever take a trip, you know, he, that's him singing. Oh, wow. So we, well, uh, let's talk about that for Jimmy. a second. Let's, yeah. let's actually talk about that for a second. Um, okay. What other guest performers... Uh, that we may or may not know performed some of the vocals on these songs. If it were, if it was not uh, either Jimmy Hart or JJ McGuire. Uh, basically, I, that's probably it. Uh, we uh, well, like I said, we for the Thunder and Paradise. Of course, that's not a wrestling thing, but we hired a true Jamaican fellow to sing it to get the accent right. And then on on the oh, we had the uh, um, do the bird. Uh, that's the uh, uh, part of the Beale Street Choir singing uh, background on that. Well, for Coco Beware, right? That's correct. Yeah, Birdman, do the bird. Yeah, go ahead, Special K. You got it, brother. All right, JJ. Um, I'm going to throw out a, a question. I don't know if this is going to be a, an easy question for you or a hard question, but let, let's let's give it a whirl here. Um, sure. What? Um, it's two parts. First part is of the themes that you wrote. What was your favorite? So that's part one, and part mm-hmm. two is of the themes you didn't write. Was there one that you heard? And you were like, oh, man, I wish I had written that one. Good question. Well, okay, that's an excellent question. 
Uh, it's like I'm I'm in court on the stand, so I'll I'll take the fifth and <laughs> and or skip the, I'll skip the fifth and actually answer the question. Uh, the uh, one of the themes that I liked that I didn't write. I mean, I never sat here and wished that I had written it, but I really did like uh, Jim Johnson's uh, Undertaker theme. I think that's the best theme that he ever uh, came up with. And 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 also. People ask, uh, how come Jim Johnson gets all this hype and credit and not much talk about you and me or whatever? And I said, well, he was with Vince's family and all them when it was just a small promotion, and they kept him. But he got a contract to do Deep Space Nine incidental music, the TV show from the past. And so he couldn't keep up with Influx. So that's what Jimmy and I took over. We had 98% of all WWF music from 80 seven through uh mid nineties or more. Uh let's see then the second part let's see what was the other part the second question? What was the favorite theme that you wrote? Oh that that's almost impossible to answer, but I will try. Uh, I'm sure they're uh, all like children. Uh, I always I always uh really really like demolition theme. Uh I wrote I, I wrote the whole song uh, I wrote the whole song and Jimmy wrote the lyrics. We did it in about 15 minutes. And then where it, go, where it goes to the bridge, where it goes, Demolition, you ain't no. Uh, Jimmy said, leave those chords out. I said, why? I said, that's not a complete song. He said, nah, here's what we'll do, McGuire. Leave the bridge two chords out where it goes up to B right there and says that. Leave it off. And Rick Derringer will add those two chords. And then we'll share a writer's credit with an icon. I said, that's the smartest thing I ever heard in my life, Jimmy Hart. <laughs> and that's what we did. But I actually wrote the whole theme, and I actually wrote those two uh, middle chords and whatever, but I left them out and what I just told you so that Derringer would piddle me in, and then we could share a writer's credit with a true icon. You know, J.J., I'm, I'm surprised that your favorite song is not the most successful song, Sexy Boy. Well, I was going to say, uh, I, I enjoyed playing Demolition and whatever and writing that, but Sexy Boy is one of my top favorites. And then also a kind of obscure theme uh, that I wrote that I really liked, one of the heavier themes, was uh, the Crush theme. Do you remember oh, Crush? Yeah, sure. Kahuna Crush. Uh, I don't remember his real name, but he was from Hawaii. He was another Brian from Adams. Hawaii. Who? Brian Adams. Brian Adams. Okay, that sounds right. Uh, but uh, I always liked that theme, and uh, that's one of my favorites. But really, I love them all, and I love I love the wrestlers, and that's why I came up with what I did, and Jimmy came up with those great lyrics and, you know, some funny stuff and serious stuff and whatever, and, you know, but uh, really, I love them all. Uh, Beefcake Strut was the second theme that I did after uh, Superfly. And uh, I always liked that one, but Brutus really helped us. If you remember, Brutus ran around the ring for about 20 minutes before he ever got in the ring. And then oh, when sure. he finally won and cut the opponent's hair, he ran around the ring about another 20 minutes. But that helped us because we got paid on duration. The longer the theme plays, the more bonus you get. Ah, Go ahead. Mike Messier. Go ahead, bro. JJ, I kind of had a, a question. Uh, you can take it in a few different ways, but. Listening to a lot of the songs today, they're all bringing back great memories. But what occurred to me was listening to, say, a song about the demolition theme or even the Legion of Doom, Oh, What a Rush, that iconic yeah. theme. Of course, you you guys were brought in to do a song for the Legion of Doom because they couldn't use Iron Man by Black Sabbath. So 
you were going up against that and I think did a great job. My thought was some of the wrestlers like a Jimmy Snuka or, a, or even a Brutus Beefcake that weren't, you know, dominators, but more entertainers, their theme yeah. songs had an entirely different vibe, more of a, you know, feel good, happy vibe, or even an Owen Hart. You could kind of visualize <clears throat> with the rocket theme, the high flying maneuvers of a young Owen Hart. As opposed yeah. to the dominators like the Legion of Doom or even the Big Boss Man with Hard Times, do you, was was Vince McMahon or Gorilla Monsoon or anybody like that giving you guys some instructions like, "Hey, this guy is going to be a main event guy. This guy's going to be a mid card guy. Give this wrestler a dominant song. Give this guy kind of an underneath mid card yeah, song." Yeah, Mike, that's like a that? real good question. That's a real yeah. good question. JJ, is did it make a difference? They're placing on the card uh, as to what kind of music was written for them. Uh, no, no, not actually. Uh, basically, we were just told uh, we got uh, we got this new talent coming in named so and so, and he's going to need something. And we went okay. So we I would watch and see what their gimmick was, like I said before, and whatever. But no, no, Vince never said we're going to push. We're going to put the big push here and put there whatever. We were never told that. We were just given latitude to write the song, and there you go. Okay. And, J.J., how much input did the performers themselves have on what you wrote? Did you ever get or, or ask them, or did they ever volunteer? Like, I think uh, my music should sound like this or that. Well, yeah. Uh, when Honky first came in, they had some sort of beat-down uh, state-line tavern theme that, that, that was the worst thing ever played or done. And he hated it, and Vince did too. And they, so Vince came to us and said, "Honky needs a better thing." Okay, so I came up with uh, "Cool, Cocky, and Bad." I got long sideburns and my hair slicked back. Jimmy wrote the words in about ten minutes. I wrote the music in about three minutes. Oh my God! And we should also point out, by the way, as as amazing a writer as Jimmy Hart is, and as amazing a talent as both he and J.J. are, I should tell people that Jimmy Hart and J.J., tell me if I'm lying, brother, Jimmy Hart does not play a single instrument. He plays harmonica a little bit just by ear, but that's the size of it. No, but he knows what sounds right. In other words, when I did the Rockers theme, I wrote it at the speed where it went dun 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 have you ever seen how fast they run to the ring? You can't oh, God, sure. They run 100 mile an hour to the ring. Okay, I said, how about this? Dun, 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 that's correct. Okay. So um, can you talk a little bit more about that? And then also, were you, were you, was your deal with WWF uh, or WCW, whoever, mm -hmm. was it just like you're going to get paid X dollars for a entrance theme and it doesn't matter who it is or whatever. It's just like it's a set fee. Oh, no. Music. Oh, no. No, no, no. I made all the deals. Okay. If I'd left it up to Jimmy to make the deal, we'd have made $10.50. Wow. 
Jimmy is one of the greatest entertainers that's ever lived, but he's not the businessman that I am. And I made all those deals. And so the deal that I made, we kept all our writers' rights, plus we got 50% of the publishing, you know, of what the publisher got paid. We, we got also half of that. No deals like that will ever be made again. Wow. So, so and when I, we, I'm the guy that put it all together. Smart. So you were secretly rooting for the guys who used your entrance music to make TV and pay-per-view. Yes, we were paid. Uh, uh, it's uh, not only on duration or whatever, but we were we were in every major coliseum in the world. First of all, and I received Jimmy and I received the Millennium Venue Licensing Songwriter Award. That means that those venues, those coliseums, and everywhere that WWF was or whoever, they had to buy a license from CSAC. I made the deal with CSAC because CSAC advanced the money. I made a deal with them where we were paid just like a job because we were on every net on the network so much and just everywhere all the time and around the world in the coliseums. You know, I was able to make a front deal where we were actually we drew monthly money. Uh, a rather large sum because of how big all that was at that time. And then we got bonuses from that because uh, our original contract was like two years. Oh my God, we were burning it up so much, we went back and renegotiated and got more money within six months. JJ, without getting without getting uh, too deep into the nuts and bolts of it, because you, know, you and I talked about this privately, but mm -hmm. uh, tell everybody... Um, uh, the circumstances uh, of of you leaving WWE WWF, uh, we already know the circumstances surrounding uh, Jim Johnson's departure. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how and why you left, and I'd like your comment on the use of this uh, synthetic music that WWE okay. has reverted to, to doing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Hawk left uh, WWF over the argument with uh, WWF over uh, his royalties or whatever in regard to merchandise and so forth. And he he was in between. That's when we did Thunder and Paradox. So then that's how I got. And then he signed that deal with Ted Turner uh, for WCW. And then here we go again and start doing music for them, too, you know. But... Uh, the transitional period was good because we weren't out of work. Uh, you know, we had the Thunder and Paradise TV show, you know, in between before we got hooked up. Hulk decided that he wanted to go back to wrestling. And quite honestly, uh, it was it's less work uh, to wrestle than it is to do an episodic TV show, as Mike knows. That's right. Yeah, sure. So basically, uh, you left because Hulk did. Yeah, well, they uh, Hulk left and Jimmy left too, so... Uh, and all the guys that we'd written the music for were still barreling through, so they didn't really need anything extra. They had what they needed for quite a while. Yeah. Good, Mike Messier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, um, you know, if if people, younger fans perhaps than us, uh, want to maybe see a, a show that really represents some of your best work, my guess, JJ, uh, would be WrestleMania Five. Does that sound about right to you? The Hogan Savage main event, Mega yeah. Powers Explode. Would that be a good card for fans well, to hear your music? Yes. That, yes. In 91, SummerSlam in England, everything that played except for two themes was our themes. Wow. That would yeah. be 92, SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. 
That's, that was headlined by British Bulldog and Bret Hart. That's right. And, the, family, uh, the family grudge match. Right. Exactly. With Diana Hart and everybody else. And I, I think about your music and, and just how how many Hart family members you've done music for. You're talking about Bret Hart. I think, I, I want to say Owen Hart, you probably did a babyface song and a heel song for him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, and, did, uh, uh, I, I did high energy for he and Coco when they were high energy, and then they used they used some generic things some for Owen, but then occasionally they would also throw on the high energy thing. Right, they lost, they lost the tapes or the uh, cassettes or whatever of the other theme the, that you're talking about. Did so. Did you ever did you ever do a song? I could be wrong, but if somebody went from babyface to heel. Were you ever brought in to modify a song, to change a song just a little bit if they had a heel turn? Did, did that ever happen, or am I imagining that? No, no, that never happened. Okay. JJ, I got a question for you. Yeah. Every good musician has to have a great band, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the wrestling boot band. Where okay. did that come from? Whose concept was that? Uh, who was the uh, the brainchild behind the wrestling boot band, and uh, mm-hmm. and what did you actually do? Hulk Hogan called one day. I was over at Jimmy Hart's house, and we were working on some of our own music and a few other wrestling things too. <coughs> Excuse me. And right in the middle of while we were working on some of our stuff, phone rang. It was Hulkster. Jimmy had this weird look on his face. I said, "Who was it?" And he said, "Well, that was Hulkster." I said, what's up? He said, I don't know. He said, he wanted, he said, don't move. He said, for us to stay. He said, I told him you were down. We were working on music. He said, stay right there. I'm coming right over. He didn't tell him why. Hulk came in, sat down, adjusted his do-rag, said, you guys, you know, I was a bass player to start with. Before this whole thing's over, I'd like to do a little more music. So Jimmy and I said, well, sounds good. What do you got in mind, Hulkster? He said, I don't know. You guys are the geniuses. You tell me. <laughs> and I said, well, let, uh, you know, let let us have a day to think about it. Uh, yeah. So uh, really, Hulk came over with the idea, and uh, we went from there. And then he had a, a beach house that uh, he would go down to, and Brutus would come down. They'd hang down there and, and uh, you know, hang out and cook and eat their tuna fish sandwiches and their high-protein diets and so on. And so we went <laughs> yeah, over there. Right. <laughs> we went over there and put the, started putting everything together. I took my portable setup down and to the beach house, the Hulk's beach house, and we just started working on what we could come up with. And, and Hulk helped on some lyrics, and he made a few suggestions here and there, but pretty much the, I was turned loose to come up with the music, and then everybody else just went from there. JJ, tell me about the... Uh the concept behind uh, uh, Hulk Rules, the Hulk Hogan album. Yeah, that uh, Michael Mansky, who was a big shot with RCA in New York, he's the guy who put together that big mega Elvis box set that beat everything that's ever been sold in the uh, early 90s, you know? Yeah, and, I have a uh, copy. <laughs> yes, and he, he was in charge of that whole project and everything, and uh, a genius himself, a um, promotion man and uh, everything. And so uh, basically he got together with us and and uh, he made a suggestion and said, you know, I think it'd be good if you called the album Hulk Rules because uh, Hulk does rule. Okay, sounds good. That's the name. So there we went. And that album contains songs written by J.J. McGuire and Jimmy Hart yes. and the, every, the songs. Every uh, song on there. I wrote every song on there. Yep. Jimmy wrote American every lyric that you heard. 
Yep. Uh, Hulkster's back. American made bad to the bone yep. beach patrol. Yep. Yep. Hulkster in heaven. Hulk, uh, uh, Hulk rules. Uh, yep. I want to be a Hulkamaniac. My personal favorite, by the way. Um, Hulkster's in the house. Tell me yep. about writing Hulkster's in the house. Cause I heard a story behind the making of that song. I heard that, uh, it, uh, of all the songs, that one was probably for you one of the most challenging in that it took you longer than five minutes to write it. But, uh, but you, uh, my understanding is, and I did a little homework, is that, uh, that that song didn't come easy to you initially, but once it, once you had the concept, it just flowed like water. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and also, we the the guys that all work at the studio, the guys, the gophers and the engineers and the uh, telephone answering people and and uh, whoever, we, we dragged all them into the studio to sing. Uh, you know what you're in the hucksters in the house. You know that's that's all those guys, and they could all sing pretty good when <laughs> you listen to it. But um, yeah, it, it took a little more work on that, but. Uh, it wasn't all that difficult, actually. But you know, I was always uh, very serious on all this. I, I knew that it might. I didn't have any idea it would wind up that people would care. You know, this many years later about it. But uh, my son came home. I have a son and a daughter that are teenagers. Uh, I married a woman that was uh, 17 years younger than me. We were congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we, were, we were married for 13 years. Uh, but my son, who was 14th time, came home and he said, Dad, would you text these people, these kids that I go to school? I said, what's this for? He said, they keep asking me at school, is your daddy the wrestling music man? I couldn't believe that. I thought, oh, my God, 14-year-old kids even care about that? JJ, I, mean, you know. I, have, I have to tell you, my friend, if you're not aware of it, you need to go on YouTube sometime and check out how many sites are dedicated to nothing but wrestling theme music. Oh, it yeah. Would it yeah. would blow your mind. I know it. It's unbelievable. And I can't believe it. I read things about myself on there. I had no clue that it was there. I didn't put them yeah, there. Yeah, and you know what's, what's amazing is they have, they have alternate takes. They've got second and third takes. They got... Mm -hmm. You know, it's how are they are they getting this? You know, I, I, it's it's amazing enough that there's so many sites dedicated. But my question is, where are they getting the alternate takes from? Are they robbing the studio? Or <laughs> I'm not really sure. I think some people have actually mimicked the themes and and done it themselves, and and they're calling that an alternative cut. Oh, I got you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead. That's okay. You have a question. Yeah, so, uh, JJ, you, you mentioned uh, Hulkster playing bass. Who, mm -hmm. are, who are some other wrestlers or wrestling personalities that we might be surprised to learn are actually pretty decent musicians? Uh, Hillbilly Jim, uh, he knows about 600 and some odd cover songs. He can sit there and slug through about, you can make any request, and he can play it pretty well and does it his own type of way, you know. He may stop right in the middle and tell a story and then pick back up on it. But. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny that you asked that question, Mike, because that's the first name that popped into my head. JJ, the uh, I'm reminded because I watched it today, JJ, you and Hillbilly Jim uh, singing Don't Go Missing with a Country Boy. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I, uh, courtesy of our friends uh, Mike Monty and Jimmy Farrow, by the way. Right. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, you and uh, you and Hillbilly, did, and he does like to stop in the middle and just talk, and yes, then picks does. it up like nothing ever happened. And then he called me when he when we got back to Kentucky and whatever. He called me and said, "McGuire, let's put this let's put a thing together like we were doing there, and we'll play a little bit of a song, then we'll tell a story, and then you know well, whatever." And I says, "I says, well, hell that of an idea. pretty good. It's a good. You know, idea. that's I a said, really good idea. What yeah. you guys think about maybe." Doing like a two-man act, taking it on the road? That was his idea. I mean, he mentioned it, but we haven't. Now with this uh, virus thing knocking everything out and down, oh, it doesn't yeah, do any true. good to try to fix anything up because you got nowhere to go with it. Yeah, that's, 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 that's true, true enough. Go ahead, Mike. Well, to... Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Um, JJ, I had a follow-up question. I actually had a, uh audio cassette copy of the Wrestling Boot Band Hulk Hogan and the song uh, "Hulkster in Heaven." Uh, it, I mean, the way that the way that it was told was kind of a sad story. It was a it was a young wrestling fan with a terminal illness who wrote Hulk a letter, and and Hulkster was kind of corresponding with the young fan and giving him some reassurance that he'd see him on the other side of the pearly gates. And I, well, I, I guess I don't want to ask if that was just a a, a story for for you know poetic license, but. It was a okay, heart-rendering song. Let me straighten that out for you and get it straight for you. Uh, that song was dedicated to Baby James. Baby James was a boy that was a little boy that was abducted at the train station, and he was murdered. Mm. And we we did the song, and part of the proceeds of what we received from sales of the album, we donated to the Baby James Fund to help to stop that kind of stuff and whatever. But uh, Hulksters in Heaven was written for Baby James, who was abducted in England uh, and murdered. It was uh, a really I, touching song. I remember it very well. Yeah, that choir was from uh, that was the Tampa Bay uh, uh, a black choir, the Afro American choir, and they you can hear it. They really they belted it out, million dollar man, fabulous. I was real excited about yeah. that. Yeah, and I, and I had no idea that that was a. a a true story, to be honest with you. That's true. And I, and I had no idea of the, uh, of the, 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 you know, the heaviness of that story. So thank you yes, for, it, yes, it, yes, sir. It was, it was, we did that for baby James and for, and they create, they still have that society that, uh, helps, you know, uh, uh, children that are dropped and abused and so on and so forth. But, yeah. um, we were glad to try to help in what little way that we could and what have you. But um, I want to tell a very important story before this is all said and done. Yes, sir. Um, my my father, it's in the book also, uh, My Life in Heaven Town on Amazon. You can get right now. Uh, my father, uh, future father to, uh, to be, in 1929 went with his father, my grandfather, Dr. Uh, John D. McGuire, uh, to the Opera House in Lexington, Kentucky, to see the world champion Ed Strangler Lewis. He was the Hulk Hogan of the world at, at that time. He's really the first Hulk Hogan, so to speak. He was world-renowned. And in those years, people dressed up like they're going to the gala ball. People didn't go in ripped-up T-shirts and torn-off pockets and knees out. People dressed up like they were, you know, creme de la creme, uh, like wealthy people. And so anyway, Strangler came out, and his gimmick, he was chewing, chewing gum, going to the ring. Well, some fans slapped him on the back when unexpected, and he got choked. 
and it was real and he couldn't breathe and he started turning blue and, and fell on the floor. And so they got on the megaphone and said, there's a doctor in the house. Granddad and dad were future dad was sitting right there. Uh, they stepped under the rope because they didn't have barricades then. And uh, granddad, whatever he, how team or whatever he did, he got the, the gum out. The strangler was, was dying. And so uh, he was kind of semi-conscious and he said, Dr. McGuire, please come back to the back with me as they carried him out. And he got in the back. And so Strangler Ed said, Dr. McGuire, you saved my life. He said, I, you name it, I'll give you a new horse and buggy or one of those newfangled cars, whichever. You just pick it uh, and you've got it. He said, no, I can't do that because it took Hippocratic Oath to do what I did. And we love wrestling. And he looked down at my father and my dad told me that he was only 19 at the time. And he said, but you know, Strangler, lifetime ringside seats sounds like a good deal. <laughs> and Strangler Ed said, done. And that's a true story. And then, but for people who don't know, Strangler Ed Lewis and his business manager, Toots Monk, are the people who created the undercard and also the storyline in wrestling and also helped to formulate capital wrestling which also became WWWF, which became WWF, which became WWE. So one chapter in the book of my book is The Day Granddad Saved Wrestling. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I encourage everyone to, to purchase the book, Hollywood, My Life in Heaven Town, written by J.J. McGuire. And your co-author was uh, John Cosper. Cosper. And and he's just finished a great book on Tracy Smothers, and uh, it's going to be released next week. So I'd like for people to be sure to get that book, too. So, uh, JJ, I want you to uh, plug your social media. Where can people yes, reach you, book you, find you? Yes, sir. Uh, you can uh, contact me at uh, all lowercase hurricanejj53 at gmail.com. And uh, that's the best way to contact me right there. And then uh, my Facebook page is John Maguire, M-A-G-U-I-R-E. And uh, it's the one where uh, it's just a picture of my uh, head and face uh, with my uh, string tie on and whatever. There's a, couple, there's a couple other sites on there that I had when I was uh, part owner of Kentucky's Own Wrestling, but I don't really address those anymore because I'm not with them at this time. But uh, the John McGuire site uh, with me wearing the hat and the sunglasses and the alligator string tie is uh, where you want to go. Fantastic. Well, JJ, I want to tell you what, this was a great uh, conversation. It was an hour, went entirely too fast, in my opinion. So uh, I, I know that since you're my friend now, um, yes, that you'll oblige me by, uh, by coming back for a part two. Would you do that for me, my friend? I would do it, and I'd just like to close by saying this. God gave me talent, so I took it to the greatest show on earth, traveled the world with the greatest of all time, unbelievably entertained people of color in all walks of life. Who knew that wrestling is such a powerful force? I did. Love Amen. It. Well, thank you, my friend. Um, we will definitely have you back for a part two. Everybody, J.J. McGuire, John McGuire, my friend, an incredible songwriter, an incredible talent. When all of this is said and done, if you get a chance to see him, do it. I encourage Thanks, everybody 
to, to listen to his music, to buy the book. Again, it's called Hollywood, My Life in Heaventown by J.J. McGuire and John Cosper. J.J., thanks so much for joining us. You take care, brother. Thank you. And thank you all, Mike and everybody. And I sure appreciate your all's love of, of wrestling and music. And God bless you all. And thank you all so much. And thank you once again, Angelo. Thank you. You're quite, my, you're quite welcome, my friend. Take care, John. Thanks, yes, J.J. Thank you, yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Can I that just, was an amazing conversation. And you know what? Yeah. The, the, the thing that keeps popping into my head is uh, two things. Number one, he was talking about how he had forfeited his chance at a music career or entertainment career when he had to leave to go take care of his dad. But uh, his perseverance and talent intersected and got him right back and probably further than he would have gone if he had stayed exactly and i'm glad that you said that i really am mike because uh and that's why you're special Kay. um <laughs> by the way that came from my wife yeah. <laughs> thanks Anita. right but, uh, hey but no that's it's absolutely true had he not foregone his music career we may not have ever heard of him. Yeah. And Mike Messier. Yes. Talk to me, brother. Well, I just thought it was a great conversation. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's run with, with the big pack, so to speak. And uh, just, you know, I was going to pay JJ a compliment that, you know, when he's talking about he's doing all the instruments on these songs and Jimmy Hart is kind of, you know, guiding and writing the, the vocals, of course, which is very important. But I was going to say to JJ, he's the best type of collaborator to have, the, the guy that does all the work. Oh, wow. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> you know, of course. I mean, that's that's a, when I make a movie, I, I like to have a DP editor, usually my buddy Tim Labonte, who the same type of guy who, who really knows the technical aspects. And I, I do appreciate Jimmy Hart's. Uh, vision, so to speak, and his ear for it, but you know that J.J. is really the one laying down those instruments, which is uh, such a task, you know? And he plays everything. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, I'll say this, too. Like, he said, he, um, the last thing he said before he got off the call, he was talking about playing for everybody, and, and uh, you know, I'll just say this. I can't imagine a wrestling world without these iconic pieces of music. Like right. they, exactly. The athlete, I say the music can be just as important as the athlete behind it because they both set each other up. Well, sure. Well, I think about it. You know, you're talking about the most iconic theme song ever wrote is something everybody recognizes now. It's called Sexy Boy. Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And that's the uh, most downloaded single piece of wrestling music in history. And didn't it's what, remarkable. That, uh, Victoria, didn't she sing on that? Sherry Martell. Oh, Sherry did. Yeah, yeah, Sherry Martell. Sensational Sherry. And it's it's such a it's such a treat when you're watching wrestling from the nineties or, or from the eighties even, and sometimes yeah. you hear some of the wrestlers that have passed away, like a Sherry Martell singing on some of their own songs and that uh like sexy boy and, and other wrestlers who did some of that and uh it really does bring nostalgia and uh you know like i said wrestlemania yeah. 5 SummerSlam 92 
some of those uh, events uh, really highlighted this gentleman's work with Jimmy Hart and everybody else. Absolutely. And we should point out that it's actually Shawn Michaels singing the song. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. Sherry had a little bit of the chorus, too, it, it, different versions of it. Well, what's going on in the world of Mike Messier? Tell me uh, uh, if, uh, if anything has is, uh, is gotten back to normal in, in light of this craziness we're going through. Well, no, it's, it's really just about creating the new normal for, for the time being, Angelo, and then just trying to keep everybody's spirit, spirits up. You know, I mean, uh, I have family and friends in the Northeast, uh, Angelo, and, and obviously it's a little bit tougher in the Northeast U.S. than it is in the South right now. But even here, uh, yeah. things are, are, are really slowed down, shut down. Uh, you re- I mean, look, I don't want to catch this thing. I'll be honest with you. I can't, I can't afford it. Uh, you know, and so everyone's, please, if you're listening, watch, watch wrestling with the future or watch all the episodes, go to mikemessier.com, entertain yourself as much at home. One thing to keep my sanity, Angelo, I've just been taking car drives by myself, but not really interacting with other people. Just if I need to get out a little bit. Yeah. Um, And you know what? And I think, and I want to, I want to interrupt you there because, uh, I think that's a real good idea. Uh, I know people that are actually doing that just to get out of the house. Yeah. They're not really, you know, uh, involving themselves with other people. They're just getting in their car and just, you know, even if it's just taking a ride, you know, around the neighborhood or whatever, just to get out. And and I encourage people to do that. I also encourage people to take a listen to uh, Life Lessons with Mike Messier, which will be up on our platform tonight, as a matter of fact. Fantastic. And and also, where's a a new episode of the Ref's Roundtable that uh, Mike Special K. Kelleher just... uh, What are you laughing at me I'm still not used to the Special K thing. You want to be mad, Mike, again? (laughs) You know what? You don't get to pick your own nickname. That's the rule. So. true. uh, well, my, my wife's was a better choice than Mad Mike, okay? So, there you go. <laughs> but, so, so here's the deal. Um, we're going to put, uh, we're going to put Mike Messier's uh, life lessons up. Uh, that'll go up tonight. Right. And, uh, of course, Mike, of course, is a member of our family. And, uh, well, proudly, be a proudly, proudly so to have him on board. Thank you. And, uh, of course, we are continuing our homage and tribute to our, our friend, uh, our late friend, uh, Jeff, the ref. And uh, we will continue to call it the ref's roundtable. And uh, we will inform you on the events surrounding Refamania. Yes. We don't know what it is yet, but <laughs> as soon as Mike Kelleher comes up with it, we'll let you know. <laughs> Refamania is... Anything and everything you want it to be. It's, there you uh, go. It's it's that uh, works for me, brother. That works for me. So tell know, everybody were... about. I was, I was just going to say. I was going to throw it back to you and uh, tell everybody uh, about uh, Legacy List with Matt Paxson and what's going on in the world of uh, Mike Kelleher. Well, um, the world of Mike Kelleher, much like Mike Messier, is is on hold right now. Um, you know, the work I do outside of TV is is very similar to what I do on TV, but we, uh, we're just all waiting to see what's going to happen. So 
um, as part of quarantine, self-quarantine and um, just uncertainty, not a lot of businesses taking place right now. And yeah. uh, we're waiting to see um, if we're going to be filming season two in the spring or the summer or the fall or who knows. But um, just, yeah. just so y'all know if you're if you're a little bored out there, Legacy List with Matt Paxton is a great option for uh, curing the boredom. So, it sure is. It's a really good show, and there's uh, there's about six episodes uh, up that I know of, and I think you you, know, you guys filmed six, right? Yeah. So so they're all up. Okay, all up, and they're all across the country in different time zones, and uh, of course, all on PBS at the moment. Um, when you guys come back, do you know whether you're going to be on PBS or you're going to? Try to pitch it to another network. Um, oh no, we're staying with PBS because here's the here's the inside scoop on that. Okay, uh, the show was pitched to every major cable network in the country, and they all said no. But PBS saw the vision, and they, I mean, it's positive television, and cable TV isn't necessarily looking for necessarily positive television. Yeah, you know what, Mike, you got a point. Yeah, yeah, you got a real valid point. It, and we were having that discussion last night, you know, uh, quantity versus quality. I'd rather have a quality show I could watch once a week than something that I have to watch every night that's a repetitive garbage. Yeah, and you it's know? something that uh, a whole family can watch. It's not, I mean, we, we keep it fun, we keep it interesting, but it's something that you can sit down and watch it with any age group. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else from the world of Mike Messier? MikeMessier.com? Uh, you know, I do have, for actors and actresses, I've put out a free uh, monologue exhibition. It's not even a contest. It's basically, I have about 20 uh, monologues from different theater and film scripts that I've written. If you go to MikeMessier.com, hit blog at the top. It should be the second entry down. If you're an actor or an actress and have uh, a cell phone with a camera or a laptop, a computer, uh, you can memorize one of my monologues, record it, send it to me on Vimeo or YouTube, and I'll put it on my website and give you some exposure. Something fun to do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, something fun. It's, it's like I said, it's an open exhibition. David Letterman used to say about stupid Petrix, it's not a competition, just an exhibition. Please, no wagering. And that is the mantra for this. Well, and I'm going to up the ante on that one, Messier, because here's Please. what I'm going to do. When the winning submission is picked by yourself, yep. um, we will feature them prominently on their own episode of Wrestling with the Future. Well, that's a great bonus prize. So please, uh, actors and actresses of all of all sizes can can enter this, and it's on MikeMessier.com. And thanks to Angelo, we'll be featuring it on Wrestling with the Future, uh, the winning entry. Get Speaking ready. of wrestling, oh yeah, go ahead, Mike. Get ready. I'm going to start memorizing this damn script tonight, and you're going to be <laughs> with me. Nice. <laughs> awesome, well, Mike. I'll tell you what. Uh, next Ooh. week, you guys are both going to be here. Next week. We've got a really, really heavy show. Yeah. And I want to tell everybody uh, about it now. I'm giving a little sneak peek. Uh, and the timing could not have been perfect. Um, you know, last night, 
uh, here on the uh, on the East Coast, um, the uh, Chris Benoit episode of Dark Side of the Ring aired. Right. Uh, fascinating two-parter, heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. Um, featuring uh, Nancy Benoit's sister, Chris Benoit's son, Chavo Guerrero, uh, Chris Jericho, of course, and um, and and a, a host of other people, uh, from police officers to investigators. Uh, who have investigated the uh, the crime? We're going to talk about whether, in fact, it was a crime or whether it was a a straight up murder or a murder suicide, or was there some other sinister plot at hand that we're just now beginning to find out about? Right. Um, there are some theories being uh, thrown around, uh, actually, quite seriously. Uh, that range from everything from gang involvement to the mafia. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we're going to discuss that next week on our episode, by the way, and I should tell people that our episode of the Chris Benoit Revisited was well in advance of Dark Side of the Ring. So uh, the timing is absolutely perfect. For us to to tie right into with the uh, with the program, and we'll uh, we'll do that. Uh, that will be next Tuesday at seven thirty. It will be a special live episode of Wrestling with the Future, and it it will be called Chris Benoit Revisited. Uh, what happened, and who did it? We'll find out. We'll speculate. We'll uh, conjecture. We'll talk about it. And I'm sure everybody has a, a theory or three or four about how everything went down. I know Mike Messier has, uh, you know, without tipping the hat, I know Mike Messier's got a uh, rather interesting conspiratorial edge. I, and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to wait for Mikey to do that next week. But uh, Kelleher, what do you think about this whole uh Chris Benoit situation. You think it was a murder-suicide, or was there something darker at play? Well, you know, without the information that that Mikey's got, or you've you've found out, like I've been purposely um, only looking at stuff that was um, older. You know, when, around the time when it came out, when this when this happened. Okay. Because uh, I don't want to come into this with any. Um, I don't know. I just want to come into this and be just like it was when when he actually died from whatever means it was. But gotcha. Um, okay, fair I'll enough. Just, sure. I'll just say that uh, I, you know, the more I learn about this, my my instinct, it, I feel, um, I don't think it was a murder. That's. That's from what from what I saw right. on, the, on the Vice special, and what I've you know gone back and looked at some of the news reports and things. Uh, I'm open to any possibility. That's one thing yeah. about me. I'm not going to totally shut my mind off towards anything. But I yeah. will say my gut right now is saying that it was not a murder. Okay. Well, on that note, for Mike Messier, movie maker extraordinaire, MikeMessier.com. Thanks, Angela. For Special K, Mike Kelleher, Legacy List with Matt Paxson. 
Uh, you can, and by the way, you can find both of these gentlemen on Facebook, uh, Mikey Messier and Mike Kelleher. Friend them, hit them up, ask them questions, try to pry them for info about me. <laughs> send, us, send us photographs, uh, ladies, because we're <laughs> bored. Right. <laughs> <laughs> send cash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Till next week. Same time, same podcast network. Goodbye, everybody. Happy wrestling. Take care. Bye-bye.